Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. marketing legends and welcome back to another episode of Growth Colony. It's Liza from Xgrowth here and just wanted to let you know that the following episode is a rebroadcast. Don't worry, we'll be back shortly with more awesome guests. For now, sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Oren Cohen, COO at Voyantis about how should marketers in SaaS companies calculate the lifetime value of their customers and what are some of the pitfalls they should avoid. On that note, let's dive in. Oren, thanks for joining us. Hey Shane, thank you so much for having me. Really excited. Absolute pleasure. I am, I was just saying before we start recording, I'm super excited for this podcast. I think this is gonna be, this is, this is an interesting topic. The topic has been around for a while. But I also think a lot of people, a lot of founders don't 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 completely grasp it. There is there's some technicality to lifetime value calculation and LTV for short. Uh, so I'm super excited about this. And I want to start with defining LTV, lifetime value. Oren, what is your definition of LTV? How, how do you define that metrics? Yeah, great question. So I think at the end, if we were looking at, uh, let's say, the somehow dry definition, so LTV will be the estimate of revenue that the customer will generate throughout of their lifespan as a customer. And this worth of a customer can help determine many economics decisions for a company, right? So including marketing budget, resources allocation, profitability and forecasting. But I must say that it's never about just the LTV. It's about the LTV at a given point of time, right? So it's about the LTV curve and how it's developed. It's about the how companies accumulate the LTV and it's about slicing by the relevant dimension for you. So it can be the LTV of subscribers or signups. But again, it's really about the LTV per a specific goal for which you are aiming. But this is just from a very dry definition. Probably there are more complicated models for that, but we'll discuss it in, in a few secs probably. I love it. And I mean, you talked about the LTV curve and traditionally LTV tends to be, so, I mean, that's a very interesting point. I mean, there's a time component in terms of the lifetime of the startup component. And then just like you said, there are taking that into consideration from different angles uh, of what that, what that is measured. And the LTV curve is usually, it starts high and the objective is to reduce that over time. Is that, is that correct? No, so I will say that LTV starts at zero, right? Because basically at the beginning, you have no idea what will be the LTV of each of your customers or clients. But the question is, first of all, what's the time period that it will take you to recoup or to be at the break-even point? At the end, startup as, as big companies are being limited first and foremost by their cash flow. So you're looking at your cash flow 
And now the question is, which of the payback time is ideal for you? Or what's the maximum payback time you can allow yourself? So I will say that LTV starts from zero and grow upwards. And then obviously there is, uh, in, in most of the product or services, some kind of a plateau. So this is probably the behavior. But I think looking at the curve or, or what will be the payback over time lets you as a startup or a company deal with the cash flow limitation to maximize the value that you're being able to generate and obviously to define what's your margin target, right? Got it. Got it. I, I totally see your point and uh, where I went wrong there. Tell me a little bit about the components that go into LTV calculation. Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. So first of all, let's again start from the basics. So probably the basics will be the total revenue stream from all sources. So we're talking about subscription, virality effects, referrals, upsell, cross-sell, everything which has some kind of an influence on the income that you see as a company. The second component I will look at is obviously what will be the base population. And this is what I mentioned earlier. So the nominator, what defines the group of which you measure and act. So it can be the LTV of your signups, subscribers, the free trial. So it's really, if, if the first part was dealing with the revenue, the second part is dealing with the base population. The base population. Now, the, sec the third thing, which is extremely important, and many companies just forget this, is the evaluation method. If you know what's your streams of revenue and you know what's the base population, yeah, now you need to make sure that you have in place defined or well-defined method to evaluate the model that you use in order to predict the LTV. One, one, one thing which is extremely important is when you're dealing with not the actual LTV, the, the accumulated revenue so far, but you're dealing with predicted LTV. So it's also what's the actionable time frame. So it's really about the use of the LTV model. But let's say that we want to use this LTV model to improve our user acquisition or, or ad spent uh, investment in general. So we need to also look at the limitation on the network side. For example, seven days attribution for Facebook. So I want to make sure that my prediction or the insights that I'm getting regarding my LTV will be accessible during this time frame that I can still act. So what is the max time frame you can update your prediction and still act upon it? Now, there are obviously some advanced nuance when it comes to components. So if we're looking at monthly commitment or collectible revenue vest commitment, chargebacks, refund, quick cancellation. So all of these, if we are looking at LTV, we also can have a higher resolution and look at the net LTV. So in this case, we will also insert into the calculation some expenses. Now, when it comes to um, the question of, okay, I have all of these, but what are the features? What are these things that help me predict the LTV? So here we are talking basically product engagement, onboarding quiz or questionnaire, life cycle marketing, interaction with your clients or users, either email, newsletter, SMS, and obviously transaction attribution and enrichment in case you do that. So this is all of the engagement from a zero and first party data. And in the, some cases of companies that are also enriching their data. So these are all the ingredients, if you, if you want, that you need to insert in order to have a proper prediction for LTV. I will say that 
usually when you are looking at LTV prediction, it's not a constant or a freeze picture of something. It's an ongoing process. So you want to look also at some of the aspect of momentum, right? What we call second derivative. So we want to look at product usage momentum or pace of new users or, or pace of features adoption, especially by the way, if you're looking at B2B collaborative companies, right? When you have the, the single user, but you also have the organization or the workspace. So all of these things that are related to pace of engagement and adoption are crucial momentum indicators for you to not only know what's your LTV, but to be able to act upon it. Got it. I want to dive a little bit deeper into an example, if that's possible, especially around, you know, you talked about the, the, the pace, the LTV pace is also really crucial. And, and you talked about e even in the B2B space, can we, can we dive into a specific example that, you know, either make, you can make it up or, or you can think of, does anything come to mind so that we could, we could dive a little bit deeper into this? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my apologies uh, in advance for for going some into uh, mathematics or calculation. I know we got stake. we got into the uh, meats and potatoes pretty quickly. I love exactly. It. <laughs> so, one of the most challenging question is is basically how you assess if you have a good LTV or not, right? So, first you need to make sure you understand the business case. So, let's first understand why are we uh, or what for. Um, that we are discussing LTV. And there are different models for different use cases, obviously. So if, if we are trying to give a, a dollar value, let's say, for every user and try to classify this user if it's a one of a high value users or it's a low value. So what are we trying to do is we are trying to make sure that we are minimizing the false positive and that we are being able to bucket users according to their LTV. So Let's look at a classic method of, of many companies in the market today. So they will look at the root mean square error, right? So I want to know what's the standard deviation or the error of my prediction. In simple words, how often does my LTV calculation wrong and by how much? So if we'll take the very simplified example that a sign up, let's assume, will cost uh, 50. So the 50 bucks is the CAC for sign up, and for subscription, we'll, we'll assume a CAC of let's say 2000. So you build a model of, of predicting an LTV and you look at the evaluation or retrospective, and you see that the standard deviation is let's say 700. Is it a good or a bad thing for, for which use case and based on which base population? So if it's for a signup and we predict 700, it's very bad, right? So extremely bad. But yeah, if it's for a sub deep, deep trouble there. Yeah. And, and if it's for subscribers, so 35% is not bad, given the fact that the standard deviation might be 3,000 or 4,000. So looking at the spread of variance of your subscribers LTV. So what's really important here is how you calculate or how you build this model of prediction business-wide. And there is no one LTV. It's really about the specific use case. We want to maximize the business impact. So okay. if oh, you want- Warren, I want to yeah. I I pause you. I want to interject right there, right? Yeah. So, and, and just because some of our listeners might not have kind of stat, statistic background, I just want to summarize what you talked about. And you tell me if I, if I got this right, 
So you're saying we're, we're talking about calculating LTV and you said, hey, um, we might have a kind of sign up of $50 um, LTV, meaning that the majority, we took the average and the middle of the bell curve is $50 for, for people who sign up. And then for subscription, we did the same thing. And right in the middle, if we could, again, create a bell curve of like how much each user is paying us, um, or sorry, how much each user is, is costing us, it's like $2,000. And then there is a deviation, meaning that most of the people who get to that stage, you said 700, so they're between 1,300 and 2,700. So that's that's where that's the the traditional calculation of LTV. Is that is that correct? Did I kind of summarize that right so far? Yeah, exactly. And and just maybe to to emphasize. So if if your standard deviation, if your your room for error, the places in which you're seeing the O will be 700, and your CAC is 50, right? So we are talking about a very problematic situation. But if we're looking at the same standard deviation for a much uh, a, a cost or, or something that is costing you more like 2000. So obviously this is not so bad, right? Here, suddenly I can predict something which is in the ranges of, of the price. This is exactly the question of, it's not only about, yes, we are, uh, let's say, evaluating our model according to standard deviation. This is also the question of for which base population. And this is just one nuance which can shed some light on the, on the difficulties or, or question that raise from you trying to utilize an LTV model. Yeah, because you might look at this number from, from let's say in, in the B2B space, you might look at it from an industry perspective. You might look at it from, just like you said, from a sign up or a subscription perspective. So there are multiple different dimensions to look at this data. Am I right on that front? Uh, exactly. This is exactly the discussion that many times in Voyantis we are facing. That the that a company will say, yeah, we have an LTV model, but then the question is, which LTV model for which use case, and do you see it effective during the actionable time frame that you have with networks or other lifecycle lifecycle marketings? Okay. Got it. So this is a traditional way of looking at it, right? What are some of the other methods that you would you would look at LTV in, in calculating it? Yeah, so I think it, it's worth to just try and nail the differences. So let's say that you want uh, to have your prediction LTV for the sake of bit adjustment. So you optimize for signups, let's say, because you don't have enough events for subscribers. So you're taking an event which is more frequent and you need a model that will predict the LTV for a cohort of signups user within the conversion window of a given network. It doesn't really matter. Another example is if you want to prioritize salespeople for upsells to enterprise accounts, right? We all know that many of these B2B SaaS are driven by enterprise sales team. And the question is, if I have only one phone call to do, what is the hottest lead that I can approach? So you need basically a team LTV model or a workspace LTV model, which might apply even month after signup. So here we are seeing the use of two models. One must be very immediate because you have the limitation of the attribution window. And this is the case of LTV prediction for feeding user acquisition channels. While the other or the second use case is talking about feeding salespeople without the limitations. So this is just an example of how the use case can affect exactly what will be the structure and models that you're going to be. Now, this is why I'm always saying that LTV is a very 
a smart concept, but you really need to be in the details of what is that goal that you're trying to achieve. And this will let you walk you through what is the base population and the evaluation method. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about, let's change gear a little bit and talk about CAC. And I know you have a love and hate relationship with CAC where uh, where traditionally has been a lot of emphasis put on CAC. I remember some time ago, a client of ours turned to me and said, hey, you know, what is a, what is a good CAC? Like what, what uh, we did the calculation. I can't remember the number, but let's say they, their CAC was quite high. You know, we did the, we did the calculation and our CAC was, you know, $30,000. Is that a good number? Is that a bad number? And I kind of turned around and said, hey, it, it really depends. You can't really answer that question. So where does CAC come into the equation? Okay, so this is probably the mo- one of the most spoken subjects uh, in every call that we are having, regardless if it's a B2B POG or even a D2C subscription company, right? So I, was, I will try to, to navigate this the following. So cash flow is your limitation, right? We discussed it. And payback period is your goal. Now, this is what I want to, this is exactly my statement that CAC is not a goal. So what your control, you control the bid, you control the budget and the channel uh, allocation. And CAC is basically your cost uh, of acquisition is the outcome of how you allocate your budget, the competition, and your optimization technique. So far, we see many companies aiming for CAC target without taking LTV into account. And these days, even measuring the CAC is not an easy task given the privacy changes. Now, just from my personal, let's say, if I'm looking at the market, even the simple news about Netflix will always say how much new subscribers Netflix added and what was the cost of acquisition. So this is why this mindset is set for all of us, because this is something that the public markets are using. But there is no one CAC, right? At the end, there is a CAC for a signup or a CAC for a subscription, and you really need to navigate. So we should remember that sometimes CAC is just a measured metric under the constraint of attribution window, the time to act. However, there is another event in most of the, uh, let's say, especially PLG, but the B2B SaaS companies, there is a different event, which is much deeper in the funnel, which is really correlates with your success and revenue generation. So it might be the case in which with the same CAC, let's say the CAC for sign up, you manage to lower the cost per your aha moment, this specific deeper into the funnel event that is really correlated with revenue and LTV. So I think that CAC is a great metric you should look at as the outcome of your allocation, the way you compete with others and the way that you optimize your campaign. But you need really need to look at what's the cost of this aha moment, this moment that you know this workspace is going to convert, this organization is going to, to um, reach out sales. So CAC is part of the equation, I said, but it's more of an outcome than a north star for any company. And our obvious recommendation will be to look at the LTV to CAC ratio. So if the CAC, if, if you have a network and you see that the CAC is double, but you see that the predicted LTV is 10x, probably you'll be happy with that. But I guess that first of all, a company need to know how to measure LTV, then they need to know how to predict LTV. And then this ratio of L to V to CAC discussion can be much more uh, informative and 
cascade across the different departments of, of the company. Okay. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying instead of just looking at CAC as a, you know, this random number that, that could be, and I love the quote that you said, there, there, there is no one CAC, there are different CACs. And what you really recommend is look at the, the am I getting this correctly that you're saying you got to look at the CAC, the cu- customer acquisition cost of the aha moment, see how much it costs you to get someone to the aha moment, which is a lot closer attributed to the bottom line revenue. Is that correct? That, that, that was the first thing that I want to bring up. Yeah, absolutely correct. And, and it's with a strong emphasis when it comes to these B2B PLG SaaS companies that have a very long life cycle. They have a freemium model. You can utilize their uh, product without paying a single penny for a very long time. So it's not about how many signups they are getting, right? It's what about how subscribe how many subscribers they're getting and these subscribers are usually have some kind of aha moment that from there on you can be quiet and say okay this workspace is going to convert so this is exactly what i'm talking about and keep in mind that most of the time you're buying or your user acquisition based over network like facebook and google and they required from you to work and optimize towards an events who have an with frequent enough Right, so you have tons of signups, and therefore it's great for optimization. But this is not the real outcome or the real aha moment that you want to measure. So this is exactly uh, what I'm trying to to say here: that you need to look at the cost of this aha moment, and not necessarily the classic CAC definition. Got it. And then the second thing that you brought up is what is also important is the LTV to CAC ratio. And this is a great point because in the example that I talked about before, hey. Our CAC, our customer acquisition cost is $30,000. Well, it doesn't matter how much is your LTV. Like, what is the LTV that we're looking at? If the LTV is a million dollars, well, that's nothing. That's just peanuts and to- totally makes sense. What What is kind of the rule of thumb advice that you give to people about what kind of ratio should they be looking at? What does that range look like? What is maybe the minimum? I don't know if there is anything that you can kind of provide as a guideline to some of the listeners. Yeah, so, you know, in, in, in our market and especially around D2C companies, so everyone would say three to one. So I'm not, I'm not saying that there is a plug number or a magic number or a magic ratio you should aim to. I just want to nail the point that, first of all, you need to understand what is your predicted LTV. And hence, you can understand what is the, let's say, wide range of payback times that you can use. So obviously, if you're just a, a new startup and you are trying to raise money, you cannot live with a CAC ratio which won't meet your cash flow. So it really depends on what is the strategy of the company, whether they are in the growth mode and they just need to show higher numbers of signups, or they really, as, as the market today, they're really being expected to meet profitability and then this is a different answer. So I won't say there is one plug number. This is an answer that uh, probably a VC guy can can come up with. For me, it's really know your data and then understand what you can do with the limitation that you have. Okay, let's talk about data. It's a great segue. So <laughs> a lot of these things that we've been talking about, man, it's data hungry. Like it needs a lot of data points. How can organizations improve the data that they have that they're feeding into their LTV model? What are some of the advice that you have there? 
Great. So I think, you know, first of all, uh, it's like uh, the given end result of every startup or a big company that there is this moment in time when you understand that your data is not sorted and you don't have a, a well-structured data team. And so it's really about, first of all, knowing your data, make sure that your data is in its raw form. But let's understand how a company can increase or affect the amount of data that they have. Let's take the simple, most simplified example of ask your users. So there are a lot of cases in which if you have a smart, detailed onboarding process, which have a lot of quiz, questionnaire, um, a lot of indicators that the user can just say, what are their behavior usages? How frequent, for how many people, why they use the product? These things are the zero party data that the company can get in order to later feed this as features into the predicted, uh, predictive LTV model. So let's take the most uh, simple example. Let's say that this is a D2C company and it's a, a food delivery app. If you ask users for how many people you order food, what's your favorite dish and how many times you order uh, a week, probably if it's seven days for five people noodles, this is a high value user. So this is just to give you some kind of an understanding of how zero party data of these onboarding funnels and processes, the product uh, usage question can feed with the data. And obviously there is also the zero party data, which is really mapping and making sure that you measure every single interaction within your website or a product or a platform. And this is exactly what we recommend. There are obviously cases in which also third party enrichment. So just working with one of these companies that will enrich your data based on what they have. But I will say that in, in these uh, area, uh, areas of data, always try to have a sufficient zero and first party data and only later deal with enrichment if to say so. Oren, can I ask you a basic question for some of the listeners who might not know, because you've brought up the concept of zero um, first party and zero party data. Can you define the two and, and differentiate the two for, for, for our audience? Yeah, so I think here the question is really whether this is, a, let's say, a quote unquote, a side effect that you have this data because you measure it and someone engaged uh, with your platform or product, or whether this is data that you actually directly extract the intent from the user. So everything which involves KYC, onboarding quiz or questionnaire, a funnel with product selection to tailor or custom the product, especially for you. All of these places in which you directly ask the user for something and it's not the outcome of the usage, this will be defined as zero party data. And first party data is obviously all the data that you have as a first party because clients or customers or organization are using and engaging with your product or platform. Love it. Thank you very much for that clarity. I want to talk about obstacles. What are what are some of the obstacles? And we touched on some of these already, but let's dive a little bit deeper in terms of what are some of the obstacles that prevent companies from utilizing or building LTV models? Great. So first of all, I think let's understand that um, the question again is for what you're building this LTV model. So, and the question is who is building the LTV model? So in case that the data science team that usually deals with the product trying to build an LTV model for the sake of user acquisition, this is something that you need to understand whether the data science team has the understanding of what's the business 
use case. But let me maybe list few. So I think many times there is no evaluation framework. So you're testing and you're trying to build an LTV model, but you find yourself with uh, missing the knowledge of how to evaluate the model, whether it's periodic or, or constant evaluation. A lot of time what we see is oversimplification. So you see a quick and dirty max uh, business impact. So factors assumption, I assume that all of my cohorts will behave the same and my revenue will always be X in day 20 or, or Z in day 180. So this is trying to simplify and, and probably you'll miss a lot of the efficiency. The assumption that your LTV is same across clients. So many will say my average LTV is stable when I'm looking at few months. So the average might be stable, but you think you don't have big variance in the LTV across users. And while average LTV might be the same, however, it holds a big variance among users or workspaces. So the misefficiency is that you end up paying the same price for high value users or organization and low value users. So this is exactly some kind of the, the thought or, or the uh, mistakes around LTV. Now, I just wanna, if I may, have an, an example that will address your last two questions. So what are the obstacles and also how data can be used? So let's look at a very simple example of two ad groups with zero subscribers and 1,000 signups. So every user acquisition almost, we look at these two ad groups and we'll say they are both bad and they are the same. However, you have now the data of 1,000 signups that you can analyze from all of the aspects that I described, the zero and first party data. And there is a case in which one of the ad group generate highly engaged signups, while the other ad group generated low engaged signups. So instead of looking at, I have zero conversion for, for subscription, you need to look at the 1000 signups that you have and try to extract from your zero and first party data if these two groups are the same. This is exactly the type of input that you can get from LTV prediction if you're looking at the base population of signups and not the fact that you haven't managed to convert any of these two and active subscribers. By the way, you can do the same with predictive intent models. So we are discussing here the LTV, the lifetime value, but there is also the intent, whether this workspace or this client is going to convert or not. So this is just a simple example of how companies, they, their mindset is to look at, okay, I don't have conversion, but they are missing the 1000 users per ad group that they have in their data lake or data warehouse, that they can analyze their behavior and come up with a predicted LTV. So this is a classic example of the mindset that blocking you for implementing or utilizing LTV model and the data that you have in hand and you can start utilizing today. I love it. I love it. Oren, I got, I got one last question that I want to ask. I mean, there might be more questions that come out of it, but one main, main question that, uh, that I want to cover. Let's say I'm a marketer or, you know, I'm in the revenue team or I'm in the analytics team and I'm sitting down and I'm like, okay, you know, our, L our LTV calculation is definitely wrong or there are definitely gaps in how we went about it. But I feel a little bit overwhelmed listening to Oren because it's just like all these things I got to take into consideration. And this, it just feels like I'm going to be trying to lift the world here. 
to make this happen, where should I start? What should be the starting point for for someone like that? And 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 I will take out the easy answer. You can't say they got to go and and buy uh, Voyantis to uh, to solve all their problems. <laughs> so you know where where should I start? On that Great. journey. So, <laughs> so first of all, I like your suggested idea, but probably this is not the answer that you're aiming for. <laughs> um, so I will say the following. It's really um, it starts with the data. If you don't have a sorted enough row form data, which is not immutable and that you can trust, this is where you need to start. But I think this is not serving the sole purpose of LTV prediction. This is serving the whole growth loop of every product. We know that data is crucial for you being able to see reality and therefore make educated decision. But I will say that it's really after you understand that you have the data, the question is where is the place within your business that you have the biggest pain point? If sales is the issue, probably you need to understand how to deal with subscribers that should get the attention of salespeople. And there it's not really matter about other segments. You want to focus only on these subscribers, maybe because you, you want to upsell to an enterprise account. And the second thing, it's not really important whether what will be the predicted value or dollar sign or revenue tag of each one of these. You just want to index them and sort them by the probability to convert. So this is just an example, right? But let's take a different example, which is extremely common in the B2B SaaS world you want to support user acquisition. So you are coming to the user acquisition team and you're asking, we want to build an LTV model or an intent predictive model that will help you. And then probably you'll hear from them, we don't have enough events to optimize our campaign towards subscribers. So we are using signups. And then it's obvious for you that you need to come up with an event that holds 100% of the subscribers, but the top signups as well and here you have an event which has enough free, which is frequent enough in order for you to optimize towards. You have your subscribers that it's the base population, but you're also adding, let's assume, 20% of your top signups. And here you have an event which has extreme amount of data and that you can optimize. So I wouldn't try to have an LTV or intent model, which is covering all of your pain points. I would focus on one pain points, understand what are the requirements, whether I need to be accurate or I need to minimize false positive or I need to increase the amount of event. And from there, I will look at the data that I have in order to address this. Obviously, very tough if you're a company with a DNA of data science serving product and suddenly you are giving them the extra effort of serving the user acquisition team and they don't really familiar with the concept and they don't know where this model is going to be used. So I will say that if you have the resources and we're assuming that you have, otherwise you need to come to us, try to find this very immediate pain point well-defined that you can uh, address utilizing your own data. I love it. I love it. So, right. So define your objective, start recollecting the data, Define the event that you want to measure, and then and then mix in. If if you realize that you don't have a lot enough enough kind of interactions on that event, mix the data that makes sense so that you get to statistical significance and start from there. Exactly, I think it's a common challenge for all B two B SaaS companies that the lack of event at the early days of of their user journey because of the freemium model, and this is you know the let's say predicting the intent and knowing today how to act 
for these ad groups, these campaigns, these channels is the one of the secret sources of most of the biggest B2B freemium companies that grew the, the recent years, I would say. Oren, before we wrap this up, is there anything else that maybe I didn't cover you think it's important for us to talk about on this topic? Yeah, I think just uh, maybe to look at the LTV concept from a different mindset. I, I completely one of these people that don't like to hear a lot of buzzwords around the industry. But I think given the need for profitability, the recession in the markets and the privacy era, which we are now facing, it's really important to make sure that there is someone within the organization that understand the concept of LTV. And moreover than this, if you're using LTV for the sake of improving your Google Facebook campaign, you need to understand that there is the know-how of data, the know-how of data science, the know-how of growth or user acquisition, and the know-how of how to work with this network. And you need someone who will master all of these. And every journey starts with a step, right? So at least don't look at LTV and say, this is another concept that everyone talks about, but no one really gives, right? So I would say, start to understand where your company today when it comes to LTV prediction, and don't wait for the time in which most of your competitors will do something like that and you will suffer from the misefficiency just because everyone are optimizing toward future value, value and you are still stuck with this cock mindset. So this is, let's say my advice um, to folks who listen to us. I love it. Did you miss out on our recent webinar on increasing your share of wallet with ABM and customer marketing? Well, not to worry, you can listen to the session right here on Growth Colony. Or you can watch the event on the XGrowth YouTube channel. And while you're there, check out our previous webinars and other events you may have missed. Both links will be waiting for you in the pod description below. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Let's do some rapid fire questions before we wrap up, Oren. Let's do it. First question I want to ask you is, was what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you, you either work or you live, but has it had a very profound impact on you? What comes to mind? Yeah, so I will say uh, Men's Search for a Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So I think this is uh, probably the book that most influenced how I, how I look at life. So Fre- Friedrich Nietzsche once said, who has a why? to live can bear almost anyhow. And I think this book just led me to this understanding with the right why I'm doing things I can do or act in every environment or situation. I love it. That's definitely that's definitely a classic. All right, question number two is, if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? So I would uh, say start using prediction models for prediction of the LTV, the intent, sales scoring, whatever but start playing, start testing, start engaging with this, because I think it's going to be one of the secret sauces for a successful company at the following years. Love it. Love it. Question number three, who are some of the influencers that you follow? Yeah, so I spent 10 years at Iron Source. So the mo- all of the mobile uh, space and especially mobile games were, were uh, the fields of expertise. So I really like mobile Dev Memo by Eric Shefford. So I think this is probably a blog which not only keep you up to date with the news and what's going on in the industry, it's also a blog in which you can find tremendously deep detailed explanation of most of the most important common 
growth aspects. So this is really a place which I read something and I'm saying, okay, I learned something new and I really recommend to look at, look, give it a look. Last thing I want to ask is what's something that excites you about B2B today? So, so uh, <laughs> the, the, the team knows that working with uh, Miro and Notion just made me extremely excited about this collaborative B2B PLG companies. The fact that you have business which hold tons of growth loop, the challenge around the private usage and the workspaces, the mobile funnel, which is very hard for these PLG B2B SaaS the long pay- payback time and tons of use cases. So so we know that Mio or Notion can serve you in so many verticals or use cases. So I think these companies that manage to base their business on cas- cascading into workspaces and teams using tons of growth loops that feeds each other, these are probably the rising stars that I really like a, a gig looking at these and reading everything because I really think this is the way to go. I love it. And I mean, it's, it's amazing that you guys are working with them and, and kudos to you and the team for making that happen. So, uh, and, you know, and, and, and again, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. This was a insight rich packed podcast that I think if anyone's listening, they probably have taken a lot of notes just like I have. Thanks a lot for, for coming on the, uh, on the podcast, Aaron. Sure, any day, and it was extremely fun, and I hope that I managed to to ring some bells for people. Otherwise, I just spared their time. So, I'm pretty sure you have. I'm pretty sure you have, <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to future conversations. Thank you so much. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semido, with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.